I want to start with the definition of social justice, because flimsy definitions is how they can uh, justify the passage of any law. When I'm talking about social justice, I'm referring to justice in terms of the distribution of wealth opportunities and privileges within society. The central premise of social justice, the reason it's so dangerous, is the built-in assumption is that all disparities within society are the result of discrimination or injustice, and the solution is for one group of people to have a monopoly on violence to rectify that injustice. It's completely counterproductive. It divides people based on rich versus poor, black versus white, American versus Russian, even in the last couple years, we saw old versus young. You want to get a job and enjoy your life? Well, you just want grandma to die from COVID. Get the mask on and get the vax and go back inside. So switching from arbitrary divides, age, gender, nationality, the true divide that the Free State Project does such a great job in promoting are the people in the world who achieve their ends through voluntary exchange and those who achieve their ends through violence or threats thereof. This assumption is, by the way, held by almost all university professors, the Democratic Party, many Republicans, corporate marketing campaigns, uh, Hollywood, and basically everyone in the corporate press. So I want to start off with a little trivia. What do the following names have in common? Dylan Noble, Margarita Victoria Brooks, Robert Sikon, Chad Michael Breinhold, Daniel Schaefer, Zachary Hammond, Tony Timpa, Kelly Thomas, Justine Damon, Ashley Babbitt, and Duncan Lemp. What do those names have in common? Unarmed whites murdered by the police. Now, if you are a social justice advocate, what's really important is the race of these people. If you are one of us, you realize that the central issue is some people claiming the right to initiate violence against others. I didn't think of wind in an outside speech. Okay. In the case of Kelly Thomas, a homeless man diagnosed with schizophrenia who lived on the streets of Fullerton, California. He died five days after being severely beaten by six members of Fullerton Police Department, who he encountered on July 5th, 2011. Medical records show that bones in his face were broken and he choked on his own blood. The amazing thing is this is all caught on security camera. On January 13th, 2014, Ramos and Sincilli were found not guilty on all charges while the trial for the third officer, Wolf, was pending. The case of Tony Timpa. On August 10th, 2016, Tony Allen Timpa, an unarmed 32-year-old man, was killed in Dallas, Texas by police officer Dustin Dillard. Officer Dillard pushed his body weight onto Timpa for 14 minutes after he was already restrained. Again, all on his body cam. And officers ignored pleas from Timpa that he was in pain and was afraid he was going to die. Timpa's death was ruled a homicide due to extreme physical exertion. Cops were not arrested. This is an example of why this should not be a racial issue at all. But unfortunately, the corporate press makes it so. If you type in the name George Floyd into TikTok, you can get 5.4 billion views of all the views from all the videos with that hashtag. If you spell his name wrong, you get 4.4 million views from the collective videos. The name Tony Timpa yields zero results. People think it's about race. It's a complete distraction. So 
All I gave were anecdotes. What about the science? I can hear Tony Fauci screaming in the distance. <laughs> July 2017, a man named Roland Fryer, one of the youngest uh, economists to get tenure at Harvard, published an empirical analysis of racial differences in police use of force throughout 18 cities. His conclusion, on the most extreme use of force, officer-involved shootings, we find no racial differences in either the raw data or when contextual factors are taken into account. Washington State University published the reverse racism effect. Are cops more hesitant to shoot black than white suspects? Turns out, according to them, police were three times less likely to shoot unarmed black suspects than white suspects. We need to not make this a racial issue at all. Findings summarized by Wilfred Riley of Kentucky State University. Serious empirical analysis done by everyone from myself to the Manhattan Institute's Heather McDonald to killedbypolice.net, an entire web resource set up to study this topic, invariably concluded that fewer than 1,200 people of all races and sexes are killed annually by American police officers. In a typical year, such as the representative year of 2015, roughly 250 of these people were black. It's true that the black percentage of individuals killed by police are of 22% is slightly higher than the 13% representation of blacks in the US population. However, this roughly 10% gap is wholly explained by the fact of black crime rate, violent crime rate, arrest rate, and police encounter rate, all significantly higher than the equivalent for other races. There is, there is no evidence for any of the Black Lives Matter claims. It turns out, Skeptic Magazine asked people, um, how many unarmed black men a year? I mean, we've seen Eric Garner, that absolute tragedy, George Floyd. How many times a year does this happen? Overall, nearly half of surveyed liberals, 44%, estimated roughly between 1,000 and 10,000 unarmed black men were killed, whereas 20% of conservatives estimated the same. In 2014, the Washington Post, in 2019, the Washington Post found 41 unarmed people were killed by police, nine were black, 19 were white. Another example of why we should not have this disparity as something to focus on. Turns out, same Washington Post research, an overwhelming majority of people shot and killed by the police are male, over 95%. Nor should we make this a sexism issue. More than half of the victims were between 20 and 40. Reject ageism, reject sexism, and reject racism. The progressive sees, okay, we get one group to have a monopoly on violence. They give you orders, you have to obey them. You don't obey them, they have the right to shoot you. And they're like, oh, I bet this is about skin color, isn't it? They're completely missing the entire uh, principle of the issue. So the progressive says, you know, the thing about America is America engaged in slavery and colonialism, unequivocally true. However, it turns out that slavery is probably the least unique thing about America. Looking at the Code of Ernamu from Mesopotamia, written in the Sumerian language, in 2100 BC, mentions slavery seven times. Two examples, if a slave marries a slave and that slave is set free, he does not leave the household. If a slave escapes from city limits and someone returns him, the owner shall pay two shekels to the one who returned him. The Code of Hammurabi from 1755 before Christ mentions harboring fugitive slaves, marriage of women to slaves, warranties on sale of slaves, purchase of slaves abroad, going as far as to say, if a slave should declare to his master, you are not my master, 
he, the master, should bring charge and proof against him that he is indeed the slave, and his master shall cut off his ear. At the height of American slavery, 1860, the population was 31.4 million people. There were around 393,000 slave owners. So at its height, we had about 1% of the people owning slaves, and that's the generalization that is given to Americans. Uh, court ruling on Anthony Johnson and his servant from 1655, the Northampton County Court ruled in favor of Anthony Johnson, a free man of African descent, when he was accused of keeping an indentured servant as a slave, the social justice advocate who sees everything in terms of oppressor versus oppressed, doesn't say it's the initiating violence that's wrong. They just focus on the skin color. So we should not be surprised when they don't understand that something like military conscription, most recently implemented by Vladimir Zelensky on February 24th of 2022, forcing people to perform terrible things in the worst working conditions imaginable, getting post-traumatic stress disorder, getting your limbs blown off, often dying, and they have no analysis of this because they don't understand or have yet to accept the principle that the free staters are providing. So they will often say that war is actually has quite a bit to do about uh, skin color. That's why we're okay with it happening to Muslims and people in the Middle East. The hole in this theory is that the same war hawks constantly brag about the mass white death of the American Revolution, the American Civil War, sometimes the Franco-Prussian War, the First World War, and they brag about the Second World War as well. In the First World War in America alone, there were 2.8 million conscripts out of the 4.8 million in the military. And in just those two to three years that America was part of it, 116,000 men were killed, many of them enslaved. On to the sexism part of social justice. There is a term called mansplaining where men in a very derogatory way explain something frequently to a woman. Now, I went to school for, gosh, like 12 or 13 years. And a lot of that time was spent by people talking about really trivial stuff that was wasting my time and giving me busy work. All of them happened to be women, and it never occurred to me to come up with a term like, oh, look, the, the woman-splainers of the classroom are back. Thanks so much. It would never occur to me to negatively judge people by their gender or race. Yet, it's the first thing that comes to mind of the Democrats who seek to divide us and destroy the social cooperation, which makes the free market so great. Barack Obama comes out and says, the wage gap is not myth, it's math, saying that disparities in income are proof of discrimination. They say, corporations just want money, also they pay men 25% more just because they're men, and they only care about money. Uh, apparently, the sitting president held this actual belief. Turns out the wage gap doesn't account for the type of job being worked, number of hours worked, number of skills, the experience, or the value created. If both Mila Kunis and I do the same job, we create different value, so she's going to get paid way more. Nothing nefarious, no need to start a Male Lives Matter movement and start ruining people's businesses they've worked decades to build. Women, while 50% of the population, make up 89% of public elementary school teachers. So what? This is the result of choice. There is nothing wrong with disparities that we see everywhere, including nature. 
Tornadoes are not evenly distributed around the world. Hurricanes are not evenly distributed. Zebras are not evenly distributed around the world. We don't find equality anywhere in nature. Workplace deaths, Bureau of Labor Statistics 2018. 413 women died on the job. Men, 4,837. No evidence of discrimination. Men tend to take more risk in the job marketplace. Nothing nefarious about that at all. We see inequality everywhere. Brian Kaplan, author of Don't Be a Feminist, says, you can make this unnecessary divide in the same exact opposite direction than feminists do. For example, men are overrepresented at the bottom levels of society. They do most of the nasty, dangerous work and are much more likely to be homeless or imprisoned and much more likely to kill themselves. Men spend much more time on the job than women. The law heavily favors women in child custody support disputes. Men are more likely to be victims of violent crime. Men are much more likely to die in combat. In fact, during serious military conflicts, they face military slavery, the draft. For more on that, check out the Selective Service Act. Thank you, Jimmy Carter. Women sometimes view men as success objects. Other examples, men pay more for car insurance because they are more aggressive and get in more accidents. Men pay more for life insurance. They take more risks and die younger. <laughs> There's a spending gap. When a man and a woman go on a date, it tends to be the man who pays. What an injustice. Who gives a fuck? This, these are people making voluntary exchanges. <laughs> Finally, the one that I was actually brought to the light from, uh, Louis J. Gomez passively mentioned, how barbaric is circumcision? The baby's first experience out of the womb and they like torture it. And I saw one or two videos and I changed my mind in like five minutes. I'm like, this is absolute sexist torture. <laughs> one example of sexism, okay. When it comes to uh, disparities in wealth, the average 20 year old, according to Forbes, earns $38,000 a year. The average 45 year old earns $64,000 a year. Anyone think we need an equal age pay legislation? Please, Nancy Pelosi, give us equal pay. Yeah, there's probably a disparity because they have different jobs and everything else. Black Enterprise Institute finds that the Nielsen research finds that the median household income for foreign-born blacks is 30% higher than US-born blacks. There is a disparity as a result of skills it's not just the skin color, which progressives make all of us worse off by focusing on. Actually, they make themselves feel terrific for about five minutes a day, so never mind, keep, keep up the good work. <laughs> Median US household income in 2018 from the US Census Bureau, uh, the, these are the groups that earned more than whites. Indian Americans, Taiwanese Americans, Chinese, Japanese, Pakistani, Filipino, Indonesian, Korean, Cambodian, Hmong, and Vietnamese, and we should not ever vilify people based on their income unless they get it through involuntary methods. There's also state inequality. Maryland, according to World Population Review, has a median household income of $87,000 a year, while Mississippi, 46,511. There is no reason Mississippians and Marylandians should hate each other or say, there's Maryland privilege, quick, grow the state again. Oprah Winfrey has a net worth of $3.5 billion. 
Any guesses as to her siblings, Patricia Lee Lloyd, Jeffrey Lee, and Patricia Lofton? One billion, two billion? Turns out you can't even find it, it's so small. Unfortunately, one of them passed away. They also are extremely unequal in the amount of airtime that they got. These are people who are directly related and in many cases grew up in the same household and we don't see equality between them. Yet the progressive says, oh, we should see equality between all the groups and all the demographics and all the countries and all the ages. We would never expect that. Barack Obama, roughly around $70 million net worth, loved by millions, gets to murder people and get away with it and gets a Nobel Peace Prize. His brother, George Obama, lives in the slums of Nairobi and's claim to fame was once interviewed by Dinesh D'Souza. There is inequality between families. I had to Google the Baldwin brothers. I, I just, I'm like, oh, I, that has to be an example. Alec Baldwin, 120 times wealthier than his second wealthiest sibling. This is something referred to as the iron law of oligarchy. How many people can write a song as good as Marshall Mathers? How many people can manage a company as good as Steve Jobs? And what percentage of people would you say are as funny as Chris Rock? We don't see equality anywhere. Iron law of oligarchy is defined. Rule by an elite or oligarchy is inevitable as an iron law within any democratic organization as part of the tactical and technical necessities of the organization. Uh, very domineering personalities tend to get more attention than others. Michaels' theory states that all complex organizations, regardless of how democratic they are when started, eventually develop into oligarchies. Michaels observed that since no sufficiently large and complex organization can function purely as a direct democracy, power within an organization will always be delegated to individuals within that group, elected or otherwise. The example he gives is say that you have a workplace and you are just so sick of the bourgeoisie, you can't take another day of them, so you form a union. Well, not everyone wants to go to this union meeting and not everyone has ideas for the union meeting. Not everyone's gonna speak up about their ideas. Not everyone's ideas are gonna get equal support. So you end up with Jimmy Hoffa and his three friends running the meeting in an oligarchical form. The iron law of oligarchy is why progressivism is a fool's errand. When it comes to disparities, there's three views, one by the left, one by the, uh, some on the right, and one that I believe the uh, libertarian movement should embrace. First, we have critical theory, disparities are the result of discrimination. Genetic determinism, uh, disparities are the result of the races having evolved in different climates. And third, we have culturalism. This is the one libertarians should unequivocally embrace. Summarized by Niall Ferguson in his book, Civilization, the West and the Rest. Institutions are, of course, in some sense, the products of culture. But because they formalize a set of norms, institutions are often one thing that keep a culture honest, determining how far it is conductive to good behavior rather than bad. To illustrate the point, the 20th century ran a series of experiments imposing two quite different institutions on two sets of Germans in the West and East, two sets of Koreans in the North and South, and two sets of Chinese inside and outside the People's Republic. The results were very striking and the lesson crystal clear. If you take the same people with more or less the same culture and impose communist institutions on one and capitalist institutions on another, almost immediately there will be a divergence in the way they behave. 
If it was all about race, we wouldn't see disparities in North and South Korea or East and West Germany. We should reject racism and embrace culturalism and the free market. Thomas Sowell summarized his findings in a book titled Black, Rednecks, and White Liberals. Many of the social or cultural differences between American blacks and American whites nationwide today were in antebellum times pointed out as differences, differences between white northerners and white southerners. These include ways of talking, rates of crime and violence, children born out of wedlock, educational attainment, and economic initiative. While only one-third of the antebellum white population of the United States lived in the South, at least 90% of American blacks lived into the South on into the 20th century. In short, the great majority of blacks lived in a region with a culture that proved to be less productive and less peaceful for its inhabitants in general. Moreover, opportunities to move beyond that culture were more restricted from blacks. Wilfred Riley of Kentucky State summarizes his findings. The Black Lives Matter movement alone staged 2,406 major marches against racism in the past few years alone. However, any serious claim that contemporary or recent bigotry is the cause of phenomena, such as 75% black illegitimacy rate, founders on three rocks. First, these problems did not exist among blacks or anyone else when racism was much worse. Two, these problems do not exist for successful dark-skinned African and Asian immigrants to the USA. And three, many or most such problems do exist among poor whites. Therein lies another reason why racism is so counterproductive. Thomas Sowell summarizes his findings in Civil Rights Rhetoric or Reality. Japanese immigrants to the United States also encountered persistent and escalating discrimination, culminating in their mass internment during World War II. But by 1959, they had about equaled the income of whites, and by 1969, Japanese-American families were earning nearly one-third higher incomes than the average American family. Now, let's look at where the black community was before progressives got real nice and decided to help them. <laughs> Civil rights rhetoric and reality, Sol says, the number of blacks in professional, technical, and other high-level occupations more than doubled in the decade preceding the Civil Rights Act of 1964. In other occupations, gains by blacks were greater during the 1940s when there was practically no civil rights legislation. In various skilled trades, the income of blacks relative to whites more than doubled. Affirmative action, one of the crown jewels of the Democrats. Hiring pressures to make it more costly to have no minority employees, but continuing affirmative action pressures at the promotion and discharge phases also make it costly to have minority employees who don't work out well. The net effect is to increase the demand for highly qualified minority employees while decreasing the demand for less qualified minority employees or for those without a sufficient track record to reassure employers. Walter Williams went to the numbers. He said, today we see such a big gap between white and black youth unemployment. So since it's the cause of racism, when racism was much worse, we should see a much bigger disparity. Turns out in 1948, white youth unemployment, 10.2%, black unemployment was 9.4%. This is where the black community was before Democrats got so nice and started helping. When it comes to overrepresentation within prisons, men are like 50% of the population and 95% of those on death row, 95% of those killed by police, and 90-something of those currently in prison. This is the result of men being more violent than women. It turns out that while blacks are 13% of the population, according to the BJS, 
black offenders commit 52% of homicides recorded in the data between 1980 and 2008. When it comes to interracial violence, there were 500,047 black on white incidents in the year 2014 and 59,700 white on black instances of violences according to the National Victimization Crime Survey. The progressive who only sees things through the lens of race has no analysis for this. One group is the oppressed and one is the oppressor, completely stripping those human beings of their individuality. Libertarians know better. Wilfred Riley says, interracial crime on an annual basis have been consistently 75 to 80% black on white for the past 30 years. More importantly, there is no horrifying epidemic of interracial crimes of any variety because 84% of white murder victims and 93% of black murder victims are killed by a mundane member of their own race. There is also dis uh, disparities between lynchings in the United States according to the Tuskegee Institute between 1882 and 1968 1,297 whites were lynched, 3,446 blacks were lynched. If all you know is, I need to judge the situation by skin color, so I gotta treat Larkin Rose and Klaus Schwab the same because of their skin color, you are not actually being productive and it's extremely counterproductive. That's why the Free State Project matters. Third and final, oh, I'm sorry, that, was, that wasn't one. What's more embarrassing? I didn't expect the wind to blow or I didn't bring up water. Uh, we'll, we'll take a vote at the end of this. Number three, the third pillar of social justice, homophobia. This generally means fear of homosexuals or hatred of members of the LGBTQ plus community. June 16th, uh, June 12th, 2016, a man named Omar Mateen went into the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, murdered 49 people, injured 53, and held people hostage. Here is Barack Obama summarizing the events four days later. This was an attack on the LGBT community. Americans were targeted because we're a country that has learned to welcome everyone, no matter who you are or who you love, and hatred towards people because of sexual orientation, regardless of where it comes from, is a betrayal of what's best in us. So nice of us, <laughs> just sitting here. Reminds me of 9-11, we were just minding our own business and then they hate us for our freedoms. Donald Trump, let's go, let's go to the total opposite side of the aisle. Donald Trump, what does he have to say about this? This is a very dark moment in America's history. A radical Islamic terrorist targeted the nightclub, not only because he wanted to kill Americans, but in order to execute gay and lesbian citizens because of their sexual orientation. It's a strike at the heart and soul of who we are as a nation. It's an assault on the ability of free people to live their lives, love who they want, and express their identity. Okay, all inspiring. Um, it turns out, uh, just because the club happened to be a gay club, does not mean he was targeting the club because of that. It was also mostly young people it's not because he had anything against young people. It was in Florida. He didn't have anything against Florida, and Floridians in particular. Now, a reminder that much like a protest, the purpose of terrorism is to amplify a message, not conceal it. So we actually have a transcript of the Omar Mateen phone call. Listen in, see if you detect sexism, homophobia, hatred of Americans, hatred of Christians, 
Here's what he says. You have to tell America to stop bombing Syria and Iraq. They are killing a lot of innocent people. What am I to do here when my people are getting killed over there? You get what I'm saying? You need to stop the U.S. airstrikes. Tell the U.S. government to stop the bombing. They are killing too many children. They are killing too many women, okay? I feel the pain of the people getting killed in Syria and Iraq. They need to stop bombing Syria and Iraq. The U.S. is collaborating with Russia, and they are killing innocent women and children, okay? The airstrikes need to stop and stop collaborating with Russia, okay? The fucking, the airstrikes need to stop. You see, now you feel, now you feel how it is. Now you feel how it is. Far from being paranoia, the Council on Foreign Relations actually published the number of bombs dropped on Syria and Iraq in this year, 2016. Syria, 12,192. Iraq, 12,095. If you walk into the Capitol building without a permission slip, you're a terrorist. Dropping 24,000 bombs on two countries who never initiated violence against America, that's just public service. I mean, what's wrong with keeping people safe? Turns out, uh, The Intercept got their hands on some of these documents relating to a portion of these bombings. According to The Intercept, when it was good with Glenn Greenwald, not today. During one five-month period of the operation, according to the documents, nearly 90% of the people killed in airstrikes were not the intended target. In Yemen and Somalia, where the U.S. has far fewer limited intelligence capabilities to confirm the people killed are the intended targets, the equivalent ratios may be much worse than 90% of people killed who were not the intended target. And by the way, for them to determine intended target, they basically play like uh, six degrees from bin Laden. If you were ever in a country that experienced radicalism, you're an intended target. It, Lori Calhoun works with me at the Libertarian Institute. She said that at one point it was all men ages 16 and older who were considered military targets. Very devastating. Again, even though men were the only people in that document uh, who were considered okay to kill, the problem is not gender. Or else we'd just say, yeah, you got to include 16-year-old women onto that too. That's not the issue. The problem is the initiation of violence. That's why the free state matters. More on the homophobia issue. 2019, Time Magazine says, between 1944 and 2016, at least 7,800 suspected assailants sexually abused 12,254 boys in the Boy Scouts, one of many examples of gay-on-straight violence. Social justice has no answer. They don't know whose side to take. Libertarians, of course, do. New York Times, 2023. More than 450 credibly accused child sexual abusers have ministered in the Catholic Church in Illinois over almost seven decades. Why we would call that gay on straight violence and say we need to have a gay humility month and a straight pride month in response to that is ridiculous. Treat people like voluntarists and violence advocates. There is quite a bit for Americans to be proud of. It's commonly known that it's not that these issues are so difficult to understand, but people don't want to understand them. They want heroes to admire and people to vilify. When it comes to being proud of America, I think there are a few things we can look at. The Wright brothers, a couple bike shop owners, were able to design something that gave massive flight to the vast majority of human beings, and not just the, wil not just the wealthy, not just the one percenters, 
I came here on a plane thanks to them, mostly, when it comes to people like Jeff Bezos, drastically decreasing the cost of accessing goods and services. People like Steve Jobs, who gave people access to iPhones. Henry Ford, who made the car much more available than it otherwise would have been to people at lower income levels. Cornelius Vanderbilt, giving steamship access and railroad access to people at lower incomes. Andrew Carnegie making everything cheaper because he made steel cheaper and in the production process therefore made everything else cheaper. Not to mention the Declaration of Independence is a pretty damn fine document. So when it comes to what should people be divided on, nothing arbitrary. When it comes to skin color, when it comes to gender or income or where, what geographical area you exited your mother when you were born, whether you're an immigrant or a citizen, completely arbitrary. We need to lead the anti-sexism, anti-racism movement, embrace culturalism, and the non-aggression principle. Porkfest 2023, thank you so much for your time. Questions, comments, concerns. By the way, anyone who wants the Voluntarist Handbook, which is the uh, 50 essays that turned me from being a progressive to being a voluntarist, please check out libertarianinstitute.org. We are creating a free educational archive. You know how progressives say, we believe in free education. Also, textbook, $500, taking 30% of your fucking income and giving it to professors. We actually believe in giving people access to a free education at the Libertarian Institute. Go to libertarianinstitute.org, type in Winston Churchill, agricultural subsidies, Yemen, Ukraine, NATO, everything you have at your fingertips. Um, when it comes to uh, any questions or objections, things I need to work on, anything uh, come to mind, Larkin Rose. Yes, certainly a slow and difficult process. So the average progressive will see things through the lens of oppressor versus oppressed, while the conservative will see things through the lens of civilization versus barbarism. So when I'm already on the hunt for who's the oppressor, who's the privileged, who's the rich person in this scenario, um, it got a little exhausting because you'd have to vilify people who did not deserve vilification. American blacks are wealthier than Haitian blacks. Quick, create a divide and get one to hate the other. That got so exhausting that I'm like, oh shit, I can keep this up but not much longer. I gotta, someone's gotta give me an alternative. This is really rough. And uh, when I came across the idea that what makes the state a unique institution is not people coming together. That's what a supermarket is. That's what Porkfest is. What makes it unique is it claims the right to initiate violence against peaceful people, a right we would recognize as evil if any other, other organization in society did it. Well, then I said, okay, I got something to lean back on. But I think it was I just couldn't have the rug pulled out from under me when I said, 
All right, everyone, I've been wrong for 10 years, but here's why. I had to have a here's why. It's generally referred to as a golden bridge to retreat across. Once I had that, I felt comfortable uh, making the move. Specifically, I read that in the Affordable Care Act that Barack Obama was promoting, I was a huge Obama supporter, flew to DC when he got the nomination, held up his sign. It was very fun for our whole family. There was a clause that said, you are required to purchase health insurance, whether you wanted to or not, uh, referred to as the individual mandate. And I remember saying, well, there's costs and benefits to the economics of healthcare, but this just feels wrong. You force someone, yeah, people should buy health insurance, and they should exercise and listen to BTS, the greatest Korean boy band of all time. But just because someone should do something, should they be forced to? Uh, no, I'm just not gonna support this. Larkin, it took me 10 years to apply that principle consistently. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Borosenko, author of Actively Unwoke. Hello, hello, ah, power. Um, I thought you did a great job in like summarizing the hypocrisy and a lot of the crazy stuff that the left does. I just wanna get your reaction to something because what I tell people is, you know, a lot of the crazy things that the left does in terms of race, gender, the trans stuff, the drag queen stuff, all that, it's specifically designed to cause problems and specifically designed to destabilize things. There, of course, are a lot of useful ideas to go along with it because they think it's what they need to do to be a good person. They don't want to be racist, all this stuff. They want to like gay people, you know, all, that's all fine, well and good. But I think if people really want to understand um, the left, they need to understand that their goals are gain as much power as possible, destabilize the system, cause a lot of problems, use those problems to attack capitalism, and then offer up Marxism as an alternative to that. And I just want to get your reaction to it as someone who also came from the left like I did. Yeah, it's very common that people go with their instinct immediately and then come up with rationalizations. So that's how you can get such blatant contradictions like, um, well, imperialism is really bad. Also, all 330 million Americans must obey Washington, D.C. If you believe in secession, you are uh, basically Benito Mussolini and Robert E. Lee pushed together. So the only way that someone can completely ignore that is if they've already had the instinct to, I want to achieve this end, whatever the progressive or conservative end may be. And when they come up with those rationalizations, their brain is able to do mental tricks that we still to this day do not understand even with all the psychology. So yes, uh, it definitely exists in progressive. It's not unique to progressives. One of the great lessons throughout history is that when any group of people has the ability to uh, make others bend to their will without any checks and balances, they tend to use it. That's why we've seen slavery exist everywhere since the beginning of time and exist today with military conscription. People who say slavery was inherently immoral also, thank God for the troops. I don't care if they have murdered innocent people. They put their lives on the line. Unless they're Russian troops, then they're evil. Their sacrifice doesn't matter. So uh, these rationalizations and inconsistencies are just so common. Just like everyone bullied up on Germany after the First World War when they were weak, and that's why NATO expanded after the fall of the Soviet Union, because anytime there are people in vulnerable situations, they tend to be taken advantage of. And that's why anarchism is so vitally important. It's the only true check and balance 
within a society, the freedom to disassociate with bad actors is why anarchism is superior to all forms of statism. Um, I certainly hope I got to the root of, uh, of your question there. Uh, was there anything I missed? Maybe you and I can chat about it, uh, like offline. Okay, it's, it's all like right. It's a longer conversation. I, I don't want to hog the mic I thought or anything. The, the left wants power, and they relentlessly lie. Yeah. Well, it's more like I think it's more they're using these social issues and like, for lack of a better term, identity politics stuff specifically for the purpose of destabilizing, destabilizing society in, in any number of given ways. So, for example, they use race not because they care about ending racism, because they're some of the most racist people on the planet. Right. But they use race to sow divisions in society to get people fighting with each other. The same with gender as they get like men and women fighting with each other. The same over the drag queen story hour bullshit, which is a constant distraction over everything. It's just to keep people fighting with each other. And when we're fighting with each other, we're not focused on the real problems um, because we're just distracted and bickering and all that stuff. I guess that was the root of it, but I don't want to hog the mic, so. Well, look at the incentive that government has to have problems in the first place. Did government power increase or decrease after our rights were violated at Pearl Harbor. You would think that there's a social contract. You have to pay the state and they have to protect you. So if you don't pay, you don't hold up your end of the bargain, they get to cage you. But if they don't hold up their end of the bargain, their budget increases. Yeah. Uh, so of course they have every incentive to make these things happen. George W. Bush, Commander in Chief, September 2001, 3,000 Americans killed and his approval rating goes to 91%. That is what we get with statism. They have every incentive to create problems and to create divides. As a very wise man, David Icke, likes to say, problem, reaction, solution. Just as, look, James Baker, February 9th of 1990, promised Mikhail Gorbachev, let Germany reunify under NATO. We will not move one inch east. And they've moved 16 countries east since then. So uh, politicians have very little incentive. And to be totally honest, I was asked, well, if you ran and you got elected, wouldn't that be great? What would you do? And I said, I am so terrified. I would do the exact same thing because the incentives are always going to be there. And it's always, well, if you don't do it, someone else will. And that person might be worse than you. That's why attacking the state at its root is so foundational. And getting away from this arbitrary evil bullshit is also uh, vitally important. Any questions? Did I get anything wrong? I'm going to assume I got everything right if no one starts complaining about stuff. Porkfest, thank you guys so much for having me.